I'm starting a series today called, What Does God Say About Blank? And it allows, the Lord put this series on my heart a few years ago, and it allows me to address things that Christians need to be able to explain why they believe a certain way. First Peter says that we always need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have. And I find a lot of believers, when, are, when they're asked by people outside the church, why do you believe this or why don't you do that? They go, because I don't do it. Because I don't believe it. And they don't know how to articulate the faith that they have. And so today, <clears throat> we're starting in the message is, what does God say about the supernatural? And obviously, our culture is extremely interested in the supernatural. If you don't believe that, just go home and open up Netflix. And look at the trending shows. There's a lot of supernatural, paranormal shows. I know it's getting close to Halloween, so it's obviously more in our face and extreme. But it's a very real thing. And especially here in New Orleans, like that's a very big, prominent thing. And so um, the story I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a piece of it, and then she'll tell like the actual part because, again, I was like three. But... Um, I remember waking up at three years old, and you know how kids have the bed with the little bed rail that kind of tucks under the mattress, and they got the opening at the end? Well, I remember waking up one night, and I used to have these things called dizzy headaches, and she can explain it better because that's what I remember calling them. I just remember randomly throughout the day, the, the whole room would spin, and I'd have to freeze, and I'd be scared and stuff like that. And I wake up one night, and there's an angel sitting at the foot of my bed. And I can close my eyes and I could see him right now, um, as real as any of you sitting in front of me. I could tell you what he looked like. He was tall, he's big, had a sword across his lap. His hair was a, a red looking color. And when he looked at me, his eyes matched the color of his hair. I don't know if that was the color. Maybe his hair was just that bright. I don't know. I was three. Give me a break. But for a fact, I knew that it was an angel. So because I don't remember telling the story because I was so little, mom, would you tell the whatever version you remember from three-year-old Chris. <laughs> well, I had been telling him since he's an infant that he was called an anointed, literally changing his diaper. I would say, you're called an anointed. Do you know you're called an anointed? And I can save that story for another time. But he, I don't know what we were doing. We were probably just hanging out in the living room or whatever. And um, no, we were in your bedroom. And uh, he said... Mom, and of course I'm not doing his three-year-old voice, but Mom, I'm going to preach to plenty, plenty people. And I said, oh, you are. And I'm thinking, this has really been working, what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Now, how do you know that? He said, well, the angel told me. And I said, the what? <laughs> and he said, the angel told me. I said, what angel? The angel was in my room. So when was there an angel in your room? And, you know, kids that little, they don't know yesterday or, or last week or whatever. And he said, the last night or the other night, something like that. And I said, what happened? And he just, in his little way he could say it, he said, he, I was going to preach to plenty, plenty people. And I said, well, were you scared? He went, nope. And I said, what he looked like, and he described that just like he said just now. He described, and um, I couldn't remember this morning. I was talking to your daddy whether he was at the foot of your bed or sitting, but he was sitting at the foot of your bed, and he was big, and 
just blew my mind, of course, and repeated that story the same way every time he told it. So we believe that that angel was definitely in your room. I used to have those dizzy headaches, and the reason, looking back, I think it was significant, is I would get up sometime in the middle of the night, and I would wake up, and I'd just start screaming dizzy headache. And my mom and dad would have to come in the room, one of them, and I had a Pooh Bear, stuffed Pooh Bear, because Pooh Bear is the greatest stuffed thing ever. Um, It's not up for debate. If you disagree, you can be wrong. It's okay. But um, we still have Pooh Bear. He's somewhere. I don't know where he is, but we have him somewhere. And um, so... My, the only way I could go back to sleep is if my mom would put her hand on my forehead or my dad would put his hand on my forehead because when the room was spinning, I needed something to, like, let me know it wasn't, right? And so I would just, it would, they had to push on my head. Well, then Pooh Bear would go on my head because they got tired of sitting in my room, so they would put Pooh Bear on my head. And apparently, like, after this angel moment, that began to decrease and decrease and decrease but when they would do it they would sit in the same spot the angel sat on the bed and the reason I tell you this story is because the supernatural is real like I need you to hear what I'm saying it's real and we need to know as believers what the Bible says about it we need to know how we're supposed to interact with it because we do and how we're supposed to walk in authority over it. Because you don't realize how often you run into it in your daily life. So pray with me real quick. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would allow me to communicate this the way you want it done. I pray that none of my own opinion or theology would come out. It would be all you and nothing else. And I thank you, Father, that every person on the sound of my voice would leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen, amen. I'm going to read you a verse of scripture that doesn't necessarily pertain to the supernatural, but it sets the table for the rest of the message. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Know that they light a lamp and put it under a basket on a lampstand, and it, will, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light therefore shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Back at the beginning it says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now due to modern technology, we don't use salt in this context anymore, but salt is used as a preservative. Salt is, you can salt meat and you could keep it fresh longer. And so salt will act as a, as a deterrent to decay. It will keep things alive. It will keep things fresh when everything around it tries to make it decay. And so when Jesus says we're the salt of the earth, what he's letting us know is that we are the one thing standing between the total decay of humanity. We, we, us. Because his spirit is in us. So it's us as believers. Us. We're the salt of the earth. We are what's different. We're the light of the world. Well, I don't know about you, but light is very different than darkness. You've heard me talk about going hunting and how it doesn't matter how big your flashlight is. If you're out in the middle of the woods, you could have the smallest little flashlight. But it will be so obvious to everything around you and stick out as a sore thumb because of how dark everything is around you. And us as believers, we are supposed to be salt 
and we are supposed to be light. And we are salt and light by what we do and by what we don't do. And it's very important that we understand this moving forward today because there are things that our society is interested in, you may be interested in, you may have different ideas or convictions or opinions about it. We could discuss that at another time. I'm just presenting to you what Scripture says today, and I want to make you aware of some things that you may not know in regards to the supernatural because it is real. I had a youth pastor when I was a kid, Brian Woolley. I'm going to mention his name twice today. And he used to tell us that, oh, if you could see what's going on about 18 inches above your head because of the spiritual battle that takes place above us. The enemy's called the prince of the air in the heavenlies, prince of power, and it's, it's in the air above us. It actually happens. And we don't think it does. But I want to give you a few, a few little facts real quick, and then we'll get into the meat of it. The, super, the word supernatural comes from a Latin word, supernaturalis, meaning beyond nature. Basically, anything that cannot be explained by science is ruled supernatural. So you could obviously understand that a thousand years ago, an eclipse was probably viewed as supernatural. Because science couldn't explain it yet. But eventually, when science figured out what it was, it became, you know... No longer supernatural. Oh, we understand that that is part of the rotation of the earth and the moon and all the different things like that. It's now scientific. However, I will tell you that science can explain what is happening, but science ends at the explanation of why things happen. Right? Science can explain what happens biologically when I see my wife, but science cannot tell me why it happens when I see her and not when I see Haley. There's science can't, not anything different from Haley, but I'm just, she's not my wife. You don't understand what I'm saying. She started kind of chuckling, so I wanted to make this moment increasingly awkward, right? <laughs> but science doesn't explain the why. Supernatural makes that even deeper because not only can science not explain the what, it definitely can't explain the why. But this can. And so our, our society is so interested in the supernatural. Because deep down inside, we know, every person knows that there's more. Atheists know, they don't want to admit it, but they know. Why? Because I've never met an atheist who wasn't mad at God. And if you're an atheist that's mad at God, why are you mad at something that doesn't exist? Okay? So, the issue here is that it's real, and we need to understand it. The supernatural is also associated with the spiritual realm. That's another word that's thrown around, which is believed to be inhabited by angels and demons and other beings. Christianity teaches that God is the supreme ruler of the natural world and the supernatural and that he uses it to accomplish his will. The Bible teaches there are angels and demons that inhabit that realm. I'm going to throw up some scriptures real quick. Not the reference, I mean, not the whole passage, but just some scriptures if they put them up for me. For angels and demons, they're real. You want to go look them up? Go look them up. These are not things that we talk about and look cute in cartoons and movies. These are real celestial beings that God uses. They do not have the same context as us because he didn't breathe his life into angels. He created angels. He breathed his life into mankind. But they're his beings that do his work. Then there's the opposite, which are demons. And these are real too. I have seen demons as well. I've seen demons in people, and I've seen demons outside of people. They are real. It is, this is real stuff. 
And what I find amazing is that anytime a Christian begins to talk about the supernatural, the world disbelieves it. But a witch can. A TV show can. A horror movie can. A psychic can. But the moment a Christian does, oh, yeah, that's weird. When last time I checked, I'm the one that moves in the supernatural more than any of those people with the opinion do. Right? But see, as the church, we'll say things like, well, we don't take our kids trick-or-treating for Halloween. Well, why? Because we don't. Because our church says not to. Or we don't watch horror movies. Why? Because we don't. Well, why? Because we don't. And I'm not going to lie to you. It makes us look really dumb. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. <clears throat> I remember being in high school and having friends with questions, and they would ask other people in our youth group who just didn't know because they were newer, <clears throat> and then they would eventually say, oh, just go talk to Chris. Well, not because Chris was, you know, Jesus at AJ, but I knew more because I had been doing it longer, and I, just, and I had an answer for why we did things and why we didn't do things, and I wasn't perfect at it, but I wanted to make sure that I could articulate what I believed. Please hear me out today. I'm not trying to shame you if you don't. I'm trying to provoke you to start studying. So that you can say a year from now, I can explain why I do what I do and I don't do what I don't do. Because if not, you're gonna, people are going to think that you're attending a church with a charismatic speaker that brainwashes you when you're a part of a cult. Please hear me out. I am not trying to be a cult leader. I don't want that stress in my life. I don't want the FBI on my door. It, at Facebook, y'all are watching me. I am not a cult leader. Right? There ain't no Kool-Aid. We take communion, but it's prepackaged. I don't touch it, right? I'm not that guy. Let's make sure we understand that. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start diving in here a little bit. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Stop right there. Repeat after me. Say, people, people. are not my problem. Say it again. People, people. are not my problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The reason the word heavenly places is there is because it is not referring to earthly places. Okay? You gotta, like, like it's, it's right here in Scripture, but a lot of times we read over it or we focus on the front part. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, and I'm, people aren't my problem. That's why I said it, because I'm not going to talk about it again. Right? People ain't the problem. But it, it's right here in front of us, but we see these words, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts in heavenly places, and we're like, Jesus is king. Next verse. And we don't stop and look at it. Well, principality and power is such as this big scary word. If you trace the Greek, it literally means chief or first place. Whether you know this or not, cities, neighborhoods, regions, parishes, nations, and, and, and continents have principalities and powers. It's literally part of the chain of command of the kingdom of darkness. That's why, I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to Band of Brothers, the North Conference, this Thursday. I'll be flying up to Pittsburgh to speak. And um, I went there for the first time in 2011. And I remember getting to Pittsburgh and getting out the plane and all of a sudden feeling, like, depressed and, like, very heavy. And it was, like, 40 degrees. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. 
I can't wait to get there. It was hot here. I get off the plane, and I get out the, the, the we walk in through the airport, and I'm like, I want to go to sleep. Like, this is terrible. And it's like a bunch of us from church, and we're all like, but everybody on the plane, we're all like, oh, good Lord. And we, we end up getting in the hotel room. We start hanging out. We kind of come out of it in the hotel room. We're cutting up. And then, then we get back out. We're driving through the city. But, Gee, it's, it's back. And we, I ended up finding out that because of the weather in Pittsburgh, it's like one of the depression capitals of the country. Because it doesn't, sunshine's not there as much. It's very cloudy, very rainy. It's cold. It's dark for a while. You stay inside a lot. And suicide runs rampant in Pittsburgh. So over the city of Pittsburgh, there's a principality of oppression and depression. And I felt it when I went there. Why? Because where I am, we don't have that. Depression is not the principality of this region. Greed and hopelessness is. And religion is. That's what we feel here. I've had other people come down here and they're like, everything feels stuffy and, and... Ugh, what, 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 that's spirit of religion. Everything, or, or man, I, I just feel like it doesn't matter what I do. How is church? Uh, whatever. That's the hopelessness that, that's here. <coughs> I believe that stronghold is why we have such a problem with addiction in our city. Is there's a hopelessness stronghold mixed with a stronghold of greed. So the greedy keep the addicted addicted and muse the hopelessness to keep them there. These are principalities, not people. And these things are real, and they exist. Brother Anthony Marquis, one of our presbyters, has done a lot of work in Russia. And he tells a story about when he went over to Russia right after the Berlin Wall fell. And the people were now free to kind of go to church and things like that. He said, but they were literally <clears throat> stone-faced, no emotion, no joy, completely oppressed and beaten down and didn't know any other way of life. Because many of them had never lived before the wall went up, before the communist uh, state took over. And it was super oppression. And Brother Anthony says when he would go over there, it felt like he was like walking through slush everywhere he went because it was so heavy and so thick. This stuff is real. I'll make you a local version. Have you been to Jackson Square to get beignets? And have you walked in Jackson Square and looked at the paintings? Right? Y'all know where I'm at? You've all been, you walk down the right side of Jackson Square from the river, from the Cafe de Mon, and then you make that turn. You know your turn I'm talking about on the back end of Jackson Square, and you're in front of the St. Louis Cathedral and the Cabildo. And what's usually lined up right there? Tell me when you walk there, you don't notice a difference. But Pastor Chris, it's not that big of a deal, you know. No, 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 no. no. There's a difference. Our society is so big into it, and, and we don't realize what the situation is. But we have authority. 1 John 4.4 4 says, That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter what, what spirit of heaviness I come up against, what stronghold I find myself bumping into. I have authority over it, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter what city I go to, what nation I go to, whatever it is bows to the name of Jesus. So why, if I've got that level of authority, am I not walking in it daily? Why do I not see it? <clears throat> Last Sunday, 
I didn't know that I was going to use this story till this week, and I'm so glad I happened to notice it. Last Sunday, we were invited by a new family in the church. My whole crew, like the whole Rodriguez clan, was invited over for lunch. It's an amazing barbecue. They're not here today. And while we're hanging out, all the kids are on the patio watching some show on TV, and we're all inside kind of talking. And Cody's youngest son, Andy, he's like two and some change, and he walked up to the back door, and it was the, not the door, it was the door handle, right? And, and Andy could reach the door handle. And so for, it had to be 20 minutes, Andy went. And he'd look at Cody and Shay and smile. And he'd go back and do it again. And Cody's like, I got to get these doorknobs so we can keep them occupied at home. This is amazing. Then over and over again, he'd open the door and look at it. And like, I could open this and close it. And then he'd, he'd open it again. And he'd look at it. And he'd look out. And then he'd close it and smile. And, and, and the reason that Christians aren't walking in authority is because they're infatuated with the fact that they can play with doors. And they go, oh, look, it's a door. I go, oh, witchcraft. Oh, I'm going to close it. Oh, tarot card. I, I, oh, look, look, mom, I can open a door. The reason we're not walking in authority is because we're too busy playing with doors. And while that moment was cute and sweet and innocent and there's no harm in it, the enemy comes as an angel of light. He comes to distract and deceive and manipulate to make us think that things that we're getting involved in are innocent and they're fun and they're sometimes even the Lord when the, 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 the being literally cannot tell the truth. He can't. So I'm going to give you some examples today of doors that we open that we don't realize we're opening. For example. Earlier we talked about tithing and how tithing is an investment of our finances into the kingdom. We're going to reap from it. Praise God. I'm so thankful that I get to do that. I love the principle of tithing for my own life. But we understand the law of sowing and reaping. When I sow something, I'm going to reap whatever it is I sow. But you always reap more than you sow because that's how the law works. If I plant a seed for a strawberry bush and I, the strawberry bush grows, I will get multiple strawberries for the one seed that I planted. Because reaping always overtakes sowing. And so what, what we, we understand this financially. We understand this in the kingdom. Yet for some reason we sow and invest into horror and trauma and, and things of that nature. Oh, Pastor Chris, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about haunted houses. I'm talking about horror movies. I'm talking about things that we literally pay to access. Think about the principle of tithing, the principle of sowing and reaping. We give our money to it. It's the same principle. We're putting our money into something. And this is the part that I'm, I'm amazed with. And I'm just going to say it, and if you're mad, talk to me later, I guess. But when you're sitting down watching a horror movie, the very feeling that you are paying for, that fear, heart racing, the, the, the thing around your throat, the, the nerves on the edge of your seat, it's the very same thing you're paying a doctor to medicate away. Yet, we'll go pay for it at a haunted house or pay for it on a movie or stream it through Netflix. 
and we wonder why we have such a gripping problem with fear and anxiety when it comes to our kids and letting them out of our sight. But I've been watching every Halloween Jason movie that's ever come out in history. And I can't wait till the next one because I, I just, I love the feeling of being so afraid. Yet I want my doctor to medicate it away because I don't want to live that way. We're inviting it in. We don't think we are, but we are. Pastor Chris, that seems a little extreme. I, the cross was too. But um, my dad, <clears throat> when I was younger, <clears throat> I did this phase where I wanted to watch scary movies. Not the slasher ones. This is kind of funny, I guess. But I never was interested in like murder slasher films because in my house, basically, we shoot the bad guys, right? And so every, like, slasher movie, I'm like, they just need one person with a conceal and carry permit and the movie's over. Like, I don't understand. Thank God for the Second Amendment. No chainsaw massacres here. Like, I just don't get it, right? So those movies never really did it for me. What did it for me was, like, the mind game mental movies, right? Like those, which obviously I would argue are the worst ones to watch. But those are the ones that really caught my attention. But there ain't no way in the world you watch one of them movies in Darnell's house, Okay. So, and back then, remember Blockbuster? Y'all remember Blockbuster, right? Hallelujah, Blockbuster movie, date nights, great. Anyway, so, moment of silence for Blockbuster. Anyway, and so, you'd go, and there'd be the horror movies all over the, you had this horror section and the romance section, right? Well, I would go, and when they would bring me, I would always, you know, walk past the horror section to go to the video game aisle, even though you could just go this way. I'd go around, and I would look and see which one I wanted to watch. So the next time I went with my friends, we would go pick that movie and go watch it. And I did this for about six months. Sneaker rat. And I come home one night, and I wake up to go to school the next morning, and I open the door, and there's a blockbuster VHS. That's how long ago this was. A VHS on the porch. And I'm like, this is weird. Why is there a blockbuster movie on my porch? And I went to AJ. I was around the corner from AJ. So I'm walking out of school. Well, my dad was leaving to go to work. And I asked him, I'm like, why is there a blockbuster movie on the porch? I just thought it was really strange. And he's like, well, I had some guys at work tell me to watch this movie, The Blair Witch Project. And I was just interested in it. So I went and rented it. And I put it on. And... I got convicted when I was watching it, and so I put it on the shelf or whatever, and she, you know, lost it. And, uh, but at some point, he got convicted in the middle of the night and woke up, like, in total panic and went and took the movie out, opened the front door and put it on the porch and closed the door and went back to sleep. And he told me, he said, that movie needed to sleep on the porch. And I said, why? He's like, I didn't want that in my house. I didn't want that feel. It wasn't the movie. It wasn't the VHS. It wasn't the blockbuster box. It was whatever got on him from the movie he didn't want me, Cody, and Cliff dealing with. So he put it on the porch, and he brought it back. Why? Because he understood his role as the gatekeeper of the house, and if he allowed something in, it had access to everything that he had in there. And so he wasn't going to open the door just because he could. Horoscopes, zodiac signs, tarot cards, palm readings, psychics, it's all witchcraft and it's a counterfeit to the prophetic. 
And I, I remember, like, growing up, I never really knew what horoscopes were until I got to high school. High school was very eye-opening for me in a lot of ways. 13 kids at Shema Christian Academy, 500 and something freshman year. Culture shock, understatement of the millennium. So, like, I get that. I, I'm, re- I'm hearing people discuss these things. And, like, they're literally waking up every day, teenagers waking up every day to go read what their horoscope was for the day. And that horoscope would set their expectation for the day. Because they believed that because their sign, and it matched, well, that's me, because that's, you know, that's what my sign is. Well, that's definitely me. And so um, I, I'm going to have this. i gotta make sure that I got to make sure that I date this. I remember one girl was obsessed with dating a certain sign because she was a certain sign, and those signs are supposed to go together. And she was 15 in a relationship getting beat by a dude because she had to date somebody of a certain sign. The faith that people will put in something like that. But here's what I can guarantee you. I don't care how accurate it may be. It is not truth. Because truth comes from one place. And if I'm going to invest faith into anyone's opinion or prediction over my life it's going to be for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you to give you a hope and a future for though the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy i've come to give life and life more abundantly if i'm going to let any type of futuristic prediction set the tone for my day it's going to be from the one who made me and died for me But see, we don't realize that we're buying into this stuff. We're investing our faith into this stuff because we're all built with a curiosity for the things of the supernatural because the Holy Spirit wants to use us. But we don't allow him to because we invest in other places. Ouija boards, seances, mediums, it's all opening doors. The responses are real, but it's not from who you think it's from. I remember years ago, had a tragic death in the youth ministry and I was ministering to the group of friends Caitlin and I were about to be married and we went down to the house and the kids are in the in the back garage and I went back there and they're all sitting around a Ouija board and I and I I had been ministering to them been been going through the book of John with some of them and stuff like that and I walk in they're all sitting like Indian style around the Ouija board and I'm I'm, I'm looking at them like what are y'all doing they're like we just needed to talk to him we just we, we we missed him so much we just had to talk to him. And I said, Did he talk back? And they said, Well, yeah. I said, Where do you believe he is? I said, We believe he's with Jesus. I said, Okay, well, Jesus doesn't talk through that. I said, Jesus talks through his word and through his spirit. I said, He don't talk through that. And one of the guys says, Well, it moved. I said, Oh, I'm sure it did. But it wasn't him. See, the rich man and Lazarus, the story Jesus tells, that the rich man dies and Lazarus dies, and they're in, they're in eternity. And, and, and Abraham actually tells the rich man, you can't cross over from either side, you can't communicate. There is no communication <clears throat> from those who have died and gone on. So if you pay for a phone conversation with your dead father, or you are going to see a medium to find out what your dad would say, or your mom would say, or your past husband would say or is your child okay that's that's witchcraft 
And you may get a response, but it's not a response from the spirit you want. There is a reason he's called the Holy Spirit, and it's to differentiate him from all the other spirits. We can't think it doesn't. It's just not existing because we don't think we don't believe in it. The demons believe. Like demons believe this stuff is real and people don't. And I'm going to go here and I know people are going to disagree with me and that's fine. But to me, all of it, there's a numbing cream that the enemy uses, and it's Halloween. It's a numbing cream, like Orogel for your toothache. It just desensitizes everything. Last year, we did a, <clears throat> a little lighthouse at my house in South Lake, South Lake, y'all know, South Lake, the party house for the party neighborhood. We're giving out nachos, and we got Christian music going, got the lights on, we're having a good old time. And Bethany was giving every single person who came, making sure they got an invitation to church. We had invitations printed. And she would, like, run. No, they didn't get one. She would take off. And she was like, huh, they didn't get one? Bet. And she'd chase them down and, wait, you didn't get your card. And, as, and of course, like, I'm sitting there, we're giving nachos out, and I'm just going to be real with you. Bro, they had some cute hawks. And princesses and little mermaids and Elsas and Captain Americas. And trans- one kid was the transformer truck that when he laid down, he was the car. And when he stood up, he was the transformer. Like, like, that's the only reason I ever wanted to do Halloween was just so I could have a costume that cool, right? Like, that's just amazing. And it was all cute and everything's fun, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, the sun went down. I began to notice that the, the clientele for our nachos was changing. And then I began to notice that there were people in the street that were not with kids. I'm talking adults now, like adults, not with children. And if you're 6'4", 220, walking down my neighborhood in a warlock outfit with long black hair and makeup and a beard, and you don't have a kid with you, you're, I'm, I'm looking at you, dog. Like, my eyes are on you. And right at the end, this one family didn't have, they didn't get their invitation. And so Bethany, of course, cannot allow this person to leave our property without their invitation. So she takes off running to get the guy. And I'm staring at the the big, tall dude. And he's staring at me. And you may think I'm being over-spiritual. That's fine. I knew what was happening. I knew that what was in him did not like what was in me, and what was in me did not like what was in him. And we weren't going to get in a fist fight because he would have obliterated me in five seconds. It was huge, right? But I I wasn't worried about a fist fight because I knew I had the victory. And so we just locked eyes. And Bethany's over here, and... She went and gave the card, and she turned, and she sees him in the street. Now, she's out by the street, and she sees him by the sidewalk, and she sees him, and she kind of freezes. And he looks at her. And that's when I was like, shit, I saw praying in tongues and started walking over by Bethany, and Bethany ran to me, and she'll still talk about the scary dude from South Lake. Like, scary dude, scary man, scary costume or whatever. 
you can think I'm crazy. I, whatever. There will be witches and warlocks walking down your street Tuesday night. If you don't believe me, go outside and say, Lord, open my eyes. And if your street isn't a popular street, they may not come to yours. Go to Lexington. Go to South Lake. They will be there. I've seen it. I've interacted with it. You can tell me I'm crazy. That's fine. All I know is this, is that right now there is a decoration 30 seconds from this building to me that says all I need to know about Halloween. It's 30 seconds. Some of y'all are going to pass it going home today. It's a devil with a sign. This is Halloween. And I'm like, thank you. Point proven. Pastor Chris, that just seems so extreme. What? That's fine. You can think it's extreme. That's okay. Let me read you something from Ephesians chapter 3. You can think it's extreme, but I'm letting you know this stuff is real. I've encountered it. I've dealt with people who were demon-possessed. I've, I've had conversations with demons inside of people. Voices changed. I have watched as Pastor Carl did deliverance on a man whose face changed. And his brother Manuel was there. His eyes slid down below his cheekbone. I'm, 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 he's shaking his head. We were there and we're all like, oh, that's real. Oh, my God, that's actually happening. It's real. And why would I celebrate something that the Bible explicitly says is not of him? It's just that simple, guys. It's just that simple. In Ephesians chapter 3, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. Let me, re let me explain that real quick. Paul says, even though for me it's the least, this grace has been given to explain the mystery of the ages. The mystery of the ages is how God could clothe himself in human form, come here and purchase the redemption of a fallen race. And the manifold wisdom, as we keep going, let's keep going, verse, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, check this out, not to the church, by the church. To who? To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Well, we just read a few minutes ago. That we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. This verse is saying that he wants to <clears throat> make the manifold wisdom of God known by the church to those principalities and powers. What does he mean? Paul is saying that God intends to demonstrate to the kingdom of darkness just how amazing he is that a fallen sinner can have authority over a principality. He's looking to demonstrate that through you and I. That's why it's so important that you and I understand what God says about the supernatural so we can walk in authority over it and not open doors and play with doors. Amen? I want to close with a story. Freshman year of high school. As I told you earlier, I went in and I was like the literally most unprepared street dumb kid ever. To the point that I was the middleman on a drug deal. Serious. 
had no clue till it happened. <laughs> Sitting in physical science. This, this story was in physical science. I'm telling you, just to give you the context of how, you know, kind of sheltered I was. Sitting in the back of physical science. Student over here says, psst. Yeah. Hand him this cash. Well, okay, whatever. Psst. Hey, hand him this bag. Okay. Pills. Pills. Ah! And I screamed in the back of class. And then the teacher's like, what happened? And automatically my life froze because I thought, if I tell her what happened, I'll, they'll shoot me. Because all people who rat on drug deals die, right? That, this is little Christian Chris realizing what he was just, And I said, I stubbed my toe. I just lied to the teacher. I'm like, I, I, I ain't snitching, right? I don't know what that really is, but I ain't doing it. So that's, that's the type of person that this story happened with, right? Same class, I walk in one Monday, it's a couple weeks into the school year, and I walk in, we're in the back, and um, teacher was doing something, so we're talking, and this girl starts giving palm readings. And everybody's like, ooh, ooh, read mine, read mine, am I going to stay with my boyfriend? Is this gonna, read mine, and she's going around, and she's reading everybody's poem. Well, I'm just ignoring it, whatever. And somebody hits me and says, hey, and she says, do you want me to read yours? And I said, no, I'm okay. And she said, why? I said, because I don't need you to tell me my future you know, I know Jesus. Well, that was it. I started getting picked on, started getting made fun of, and it was this deal like, you ought to let her read it. You're scared. Of, why are you scared to let her read it? Why are you scared to let her read it? This is Monday. Well, I leave on Monday, and I go to the office, the staff meeting. Or, no, it was Tuesday. Sorry, I go to, it, was, it happened two days in a row. Tuesday, I go to the church, staff meeting, and I'm telling the youth pastor, Brian, at the time, and we're in the hallway. It's me, him, and I want two or three other guys, and we're cutting up. And I'm telling the story. And Brian looks at me and says, oh, just prophesy to her. And I said, yeah, because I could just pull that out of my pocket. Right? Oh, just prophesy to her. I'm 14 years old, man. I couldn't spell prophecy. And I was in a drug deal last week, Brian. Right? Come on. Brother Carl's leaving his office. And Brian says, Pastor Carl, shouldn't he just give her a prophetic word? And Brother Carl's like, yeah, give her a prophetic word. And he walks off. So I'm like, great. Now i got to give her a prophetic word. I've never done that before. This is awesome. So I go to school the next day. Nope, no prophetic word. Didn't feel, nope, not happening. Nothing. Go to youth that night. Brian's like, did you prophesy to her? I'm like, no, I didn't prophesy to her. No. He's like, do you want to? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. They'd stop making fun of me, I think. It'd be great, though. And he prayed for me that the Lord would give me a prophetic word for that young lady. So I go back to school on Thursday. Nothing. <laughs> go back on Friday, and she's sitting in my seat. And she looks up at me, and she says, you going to let me read your poem today? Oh, you going to let me give you your reading today? I don't know where this came from, and I'm not telling you this to brag on me. I'm bragging all on the Holy Spirit because y'all know 14-year-old Chris just met a man in the drug deal like a week before. So he don't know nothing, right? He is, he is street, dumb, stupid at this point. But he knew Jesus. She said, are you going to let me give you your reading today? And I said, no, I got mine this morning, but I have one for you. And I gave her a word of knowledge. Don't remember what I told her. But whatever I said made her stand up, start crying, and run out the room. The friends who had been picking on me all week looked at me, and I said, don't ask me for one. 
<laughs> I said, I'm out. He said, that's all I got. That was in 2001. 20 years later, I'm preaching on a Sunday. And the next morning, we, we, we go to the meeting and we're talking. And through the, just the recap meeting or whatever, there was a, in our WOG meeting, somebody from nursery put in that there was a family who came in. And when the mom dropped off the infant or the baby, the baby had a dirty diaper. But not like you could tell when you grabbed the baby. smelled. But when they went to change her, it was like multiple dirty diapers in one diaper. Because she had more diapers. So the baby's like all dirty and just crusty and whatever. And, and it's not everywhere. And they're not clean. They hadn't been bathed. And um, so, of course, the nursery ladies are like shoving every diaper and every snack they can find in this lady's diaper bag or whatever. Well, we didn't know who she was. Well, the next week, they make contact with the mom and ask her how she came to church. She says, I, I went to high school here, and I left after Katrina. I started dating a, a guy who ended up being a massive drug dealer who beat me and was horrible but would assault me and get me pregnant so I couldn't leave. And it was this tragic situation. He left, and I finally had someone help sneak me and my three kids away. And I came back home to my mom's house. And when I got here, I got on Facebook, and I saw Chris preaching. And when I was 14 in freshman year physical science, Chris told me something no one has ever told me and nobody ever knew. And I don't know how he did it. But when I saw him preaching, I knew I had to come here because what he had was real. Last I heard, she came for a few weeks. She relocated because she was running from the guy. Last I heard, the guy's in jail. She's out of state. Don't know where she is exactly. But she's connected to a church. We got one message about it, and she's good now. That's not talking about Chris. That's not bragging on Chris. What I'm telling you is, is you do not know the opportunity that you have to minister and to be involved in advancing the kingdom by being obedient, by knowing what we actually are to do in the supernatural. Because what God says about the supernatural is it's real and he's in charge. So this week, whatever you choose to do is up to you. You've already heard what I believe the Bible says. And you're going to do what, what you want to do. And I, I'm not going to condemn you for it. That's not, you can come to church next week. We can hang out Wednesday. Whatever. I'm, that's just letting you know. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do certain things. And we're not going to do certain things. And if you don't know me well enough, I'm not the judgy guy. I'm not that dude. But I will say that the response, the altar call to this message is not going to be laying on of hands. It's not going to be anything. The altar call of this message is I'm going to ask every single one of you to leave today and do an inventory of what doors are open in your life. And parents, listen carefully. You may be good. Go see what your kids are Netflixing. Go see what's on your Amazon Prime history. Go see what's on your Hulu history or your, your Peacock. Go, go look at the books they're listening to. Go look at the, the, the things that they're... Go look into it because you don't know what they're getting involved in. I want to tell you one more story because I feel like i got to make sure you understand how real this is. After Katrina, that's, I'll close after this. After Katrina, we had a group come down. I was giving tours like for relief groups. I'd get in their vans and drive them around and show them all the devastation. and like give them a little Katrina tour. And 
this choir came down to do an outreach. They were called the Bobby Lewis Ensemble, and they could sing, not sing, sang. And they wanted to go get beignets, which was hysterical because the pastor was this extremely joyful black guy. And he's sitting down, and he's getting beignets, and he makes the joke that I really shouldn't do ministry right now because I have this powder all over my face. It's not a good look for me, right? I'm like, I'm not laughing at that joke. I'm not sure if I can, but they thought it was hysterical. But we get up, and we start walking, and they want to go see the paintings. <clears throat> so we're walking around Jackson Square, and y'all, y'all know what's on the turn. We already talked about the turn. And so we're walking, and he said, he'd only, he hadn't made the turn yet. And he says, hey, y'all, let's sing. I'm like, yes, it's going to be great. Oh, I know where we're going. Like, I had this epiphany. Whoa. Well, they had this song called Holy Ghost Takeover. And one of the, uh, of course they did, right? And that's the song he picked, right? Because why not? And the last line of the song was, we're taking back everything, a takeover for the Lord. And so we're standing on the corner facing <clears throat> like the, the right side of the Jackson statue, right? The right side. And they're singing this song. And people are gathered around because it's New Orleans and it's performance. And, and they're loud and they're, they're all um, incredible singers, right? Well, then they start taking their song on the road. And we walk and make the turn. And so they're singing a Holy Ghost takeover. As we're walking past the tarot card reading, psychics, witchcraft, crystals, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not singing because I ain't trying to look stupid. And so, not because I'm afraid of being persecuted. I just don't sing like them. And so, I'm watching. And as we turn the corner, they set up on the, the steps to the right of the cathedral, right? And they still singing. we taking over everything, right? And I'm watching. I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, this like was eye-opening to me. I knew it was real, and then this was a whole other level. I'm sitting there watching, and as they're singing, I'm watching the different tables and different people reach in their bag and start pulling out different crystals, and they're rubbing their crystals, and they're, they're, they're rubbing their beads, and they're getting up, and they're grabbing their heads, and they're pacing, and they're grabbing different sticks, and they're walking around. And then Mr. Bobby Lewis turns around and says, and now we're going to sing about the goodness of God. And they start singing, Israel Houghton's You Are Good, and the whole place is jamming. And I'm telling you, these people, these people that are involved in witchcraft, they're, they're packing up, they're, they're paid for these spots, to be in them, and they're packing their bags up and leaving. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching. I'm like, that just happened right in front of my eyes. I watched the spiritual battle happen right in front of my eyes. It's real, but we win. I want to encourage you to pursue the things of the Spirit. Pursue the things. It's 1 Corinthians 41. I desire that, I eagerly desire that you pursue all spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. You have no idea what one moment of obedience, no matter how awkward you feel, would do for somebody 20 years later. But that's the things of the Spirit. Would you bow your heads this morning?